Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Just to catch you up, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We do this sometimes where we dive into books of the Bible and we just walk straight through them. We don't try to make up something great. We just go back to the Word uh, and, and, we, and we go with that because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's better than anything I can come up with or, or anybody else. So we're grateful for that, that God has given us His Word. 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be spending our time together today. But just a little recap to catch you up. In the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he is talking about their faith. And and the Thessalonians are going through much persecution. And they're up against conflict and and persecution for their faith. And and Paul's talking about how real their faith is. And and remember, he's reminding them of, of the fact that the gospel changes everything. And now we arrive at the second chapter and we're going to see Paul living out that reality. We're going to see Paul and and his team coming on the scene and ministering boldly and ministering selflessly. And and we're going to see how the gospel transforms the way that they preach and the way that they live. And then we're going to see how that applies to us today. And so... If, you, if you've got open-toed shoes on, this is going to be a real bad dad joke. If you've got open-toed shoes on today, cover them up because I'm going to be coming for them a little bit, not like super purposefully. It's just going to happen. That's, you know, what I mean by that. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> It'll get better as we go, I hope. First Thessalonians 2, if you have your Bible, go there with me. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV. It's okay if you're not. There's a lot of good translations. Just want to help you uh, follow along with what I'm doing. Guys, can you start the clock? That will help me greatly today because I got a lot to say. First Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness, somebody say boldness, in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have, been, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Will you pray with me? Father, help us now to receive your word, to understand its meaning by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen. So we see Paul is speaking as a defendant a little bit. Maybe you noticed him defending himself, defending their ministry. He, he's defending that because the people there were questioning his motives. They were questioning why he was doing what he was doing. They were questioning the ministry that they were bringing to them. And so Paul is defending it and, he, and he, he's, he's, he's talking about uh, all of these things that the Thessalonians observed about them and how that brings validity to their ministry. I think it's interesting that the first thing Paul points to when he's talking about the fact that his ministry was not in vain was suffering. He didn't point to successes. He pointed to suffering. It's, it's our temptation sometimes as ministers to point to the great successes that we've had in order to validate our ministries. But Paul is actually doing the opposite. He's saying, look at how we suffered. You know, you saw how we suffered to bring validity to their message. But though, verse two, we had already suffered and, and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God shamefully treated. I want to look at that for a second. Paul wasn't exaggerating. Paul was, Paul meant what he said when he said that they were shamefully treated at Philippi. Just to paint the picture, I want to send you for a second to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at the end of the chapter and then we're going to go to Acts 17 because this is where Paul and Silas were there and, and, and exactly what he's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians 2 is what we observe in Acts chapter 16 and 17. So they're there and they're doing ministry and they're preaching the gospel. And there was a girl, a slave girl that was fortune telling for her masters and was making money for her masters in Acts chapter 16. You can look at it later when you, when you go back and, and have time. And the fortune telling girl was annoying Paul, the Bible says. And so Paul cast the, the evil spirit out of her. And then she was unable to do what she had been doing to make money for her masters. So the masters didn't like that, naturally. So they created this big disturbance and they, they drug Paul and Silas before the rulers. And then we pick it up in Acts, 20 verse, or Acts 16, verse 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd, look at what happened. The crowd joined in attacking them. So they're coming around, the mob is around them, they're attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them. Then they gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They tore their clothes off and then they instructed them to beat them with rods, with many blows. Some of you played, maybe you played football in high school, college, if you were real good. Maybe you were like me and you quit at sixth grade 
uh, because you got hit too many times in the pocket. I was a quarterback, and my career lasted one year. We, we were 0 for 11. That's a true story. Spout Spring Seminoles, for those of you who uh, want to look back in the record books. 0 for 11. Too many sacks for Jared to continue to play. I just couldn't find really my niche, you know? So maybe you've been hit a lot, right? Maybe you understand what it's like. Maybe some of you are, are fighters and you don't have to attest to that, raise your hand or anything, but maybe you've been in a few fights. If you have, you understand what it's like to get hit. And when you get hit in the face, you know, like it really only kind of takes one. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been hit in the face, it's like when, you've, when you watch those movies like Rocky. You've watched the Rocky movies, anybody? And how unrealistic is that? He's just getting annihilated. And he still wins sometimes. But he, it, I mean, he's like, you know what I'm talking about? Just getting blow after blow after blow after blow. How is this guy still alive? Adrian! Adrian! But then he talks like that anyway, so it's not really, you're not really sure if it's the blows or if, he, if it's just him. Many blows, inflicted many blows with rods. And then they threw them into prison. And I love this, they shackled their feet because they kind of realized, hey, these guys are carrying some kind of different power with them. They might get loose. We're gonna have to extra. By the way, they were beaten, like bruised, probably can't walk. I mean, I, I ran a mile last year and I couldn't walk after that. These guys got beaten to a pulp, but they still, they still tied their feet down, you know? I love that because they, they knew, they kind of saw what was about to happen. And, and Paul and Silas are in the prison and they begin to sing praises to God. And they're singing loudly. And the prisoners are like, what is happening? Isn't that why you're here? They're singing praise to God. And, and, and then an earthquake happens. There's a whole sermon and a half on this, but I'm not gonna go there. An earthquake happens when they're singing praise to God. And then their, their shackles are broken and their feet are loosened and they, they, they're able to go free. And so the jailer is at the front and he's like, thinking that they all went free, he grabs his sword, he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're still here. We have better things to do right now than to be free. Another sermon. And the jailer comes back and he says, well, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And, and Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole household, and be saved. And the jailer's saved and his whole household is saved. And, and then the next day or the, in, the, in the near future, they release Paul and Silas to go on their journey. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Paul and Silas had just been beaten. So they're hurting. They're probably limping. They've got lacerations down their back. And they, but they know that they've got to go to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was 100 miles away from Philippi. Just for a point of reference, it's 97, 98 almost miles to Chattanooga from here, which is not really that long if you're in a car, but have you ever tried to walk to Chattanooga? No, in flip-flops, no. So they walked and they took three stops. We see this in Acts chapter 17, I'm not making it up. Verse one, we see they took three stops on the way there. 
The first stop was Amphipolis, I think. Hold on, let me get back to the Bible. Yeah, Amphipolis. That's 33 miles from Philippi. And then from there, they went to Apollonia, which is 30 miles. And then from Apollonia, they made it to Thessalonica, which is 37 miles. Most believe that they spent one night in between each place. So they walked all day, slept, walked all day, slept, walked all day, slept. They didn't waste any time. They didn't waste any time on the way to Thessalonica, even though they were hurting, even though they had just been beaten for the very thing that they were going to Thessalonica to proclaim again. And in Acts 17, we pick up the story. Verse two, Paul went in and as was his custom on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's preaching the gospel. That's what we see here. Reasoning and explaining and proving it Three Sabbath days he spent. And some of them, verse four, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. As did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Word of the day, rabble. Anybody? It means crowd is what that means. I just learned that. The more you know. Okay. Y'all knew what it meant? Rabble? No. Okay. All right. Cool. He took wicked men. They took wicked men from the crowd and they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, which is where they were staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason, naturally, and the rest, then they let them go. But I don't want you to miss what they called Paul and Silas and and these men. These men turned the world upside down. These men, for whatever reason, they chose not to call them by name. I don't know if they knew their name, but they knew their reputation. These men turned the world upside down. These men, we've been hearing about what they've been proclaiming. We've been hearing about the miracles that follow them. We've been hearing about how they, people's lives are being changed as they come in contact with these men. These men are turning the world upside down. What they're missing from this story is the fact that it's not just these men, it's the message that these men proclaim, which is the hope that they have in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid for the sins of the world. These men turn the world upside down. And here's what I want to draw your attention to. We have the same truth. We have the same mandate. By the way, that mandate is to go, therefore, into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every nation. We have that mandate. That's not just for people up here. That's not just for Paul and other people in the Bible that seem to be more spiritual than us. That's for all of us. That's for Christians, blood-bought, redeemed 
individuals, sinners like me, who have been saved by grace, who went from death to life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, trusting in him for salvation. We have this mandate from heaven. Go and proclaim. These men turned the world upside down. I wonder if that same thing can be said of us today. And I wonder why it's not being said of us today, truth be told. Message hasn't changed. Holy Spirit hasn't changed. We sing about how this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint, but maybe we're not living that way because maybe if we were living that way and speaking that way and sharing the good news that way, the world would be turned upside down. You may say, well, I just live in Flowery Branch. It starts here. Your world. Your world. Change your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ on your lips and in your life. This is plan A, by the way. You've heard it said. Jesus has no plan B. We are the plan. He doesn't need a plan B, by the way, which is astounding that we are the plan. The multiplication of this message, disciple making all around the whole globe. The mandate's clear. The mandate's the same for all of us. And Jesus has chosen to use us. He went back to heaven and he gave us the Holy Spirit to live and reside inside of us so that we can go in that authority because the end of the Great Commission, don't ever forget this, is behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can this be said of us today? That we are men and women who are turning the world upside down. The mistreatment and the abuse that they suffered in Philippi didn't intimidate them. It didn't scare them away. They were facing punishment and even death. And it didn't stop them. It didn't turn them back at all. The, the power of the gospel strengthened their resolve. They had been commissioned by God. And their true north was identified and it was clear. These men who have turned the world upside down. This should challenge us to the core. This has challenged me to the core this week. The, the reality, the reality that really, I don't have a right to undertake this Christian call if I'm not willing to suffer and die for the sake of it. This is the challenge. This is what I'm coping with this week as I study the text and this text studies me, which is what we should always do. We've been entrusted with this gospel. We are the plan. And to shrink back from declaring it is to defy God's plan for your life. Point blank, period. I'm sorry about your pinky toe. To shrink back from declaring this good news is to defy the plan that God has placed on your life, Christian. We can't make excuses for that. The mandate is clear. The world is lost and dying. The world is opposed to this truth. And this truth changes everything. 
I wonder if you think about this. I wonder if you think about the legacy that you're leaving, the purpose of your days, the purpose. Like, what is the legacy that you're leaving? Because the truth is, if you don't think about that, if you're not intentional about that legacy, because you're going to leave a legacy. I don't know if you know that, but something's going to be left behind. And if you're not intentional about it, chances are you're not going to like what you leave behind. So I wonder if you think about that. I wonder if we think about that. And when we look at the Apostle Paul in this text today, we see that his legacy is clear. He lives to live as Christ and to die as gain. I am here to make Jesus famous and him alone. I am here to lift his name higher than my name. No matter what comes, I know what I'm here to do. Because at the end of this life, I have an eternity to spend enjoying God forever. And he's come that I may have life and have it to the full today. And he equips those that he has called. And he gives us part of what he equips us with is peace and life and joy and hope as we accomplish his mission in front of us. I got more to say on this, but I just can't tell if y'all coming. When you get to the end of your life, what will be the difference that you make? What will be the difference that you make? Will you make a difference? Yeah, we know that. It just may not be the difference you want to make. What will be the difference that you make? Paul knew what his legacy would be. He was laser focused on that. It's interesting to me, again, that Paul ties together boldness, his boldness with the gospel, and the fact that he did not come in vain. He's he's showing us that there is a clear link between the boldness to declare and the validity of our mission and our ministry and what we do. He's linking that, which tells me a lot and challenges me a lot. Because the reality is, any regret that I have at the end of my days will be based on how little I shared boldly the hope that I have in my Savior. I'm not gonna get to the end of my days and regret the fact that I never downloaded TikTok. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's just an app with things that you scroll for four, minimum four hours, I've been told. Like you, you have to spend at least four hours on this thing. Boom, boom, boom. And it moves so quick. It's like, you know, I am confident that you're not going to get to the end of life and look back and say, wow, I missed out on that. I should have been TikTok famous. Missed it. Opportunity gone. We're not going to get there and think, man, I didn't binge watch 24 twice through. I only binged it once through. That's the greatest show of all time, by the way, just in my personal, humble opinion. I'm not going to get to the end and think, wow, I missed that. That was an opportunity. That would have really enriched my life. I'm not saying there's something wrong with entertainment. I'm saying that we have a mandate. And the regret that we have at the end when we're in the glory of God and we're, uh, we're surrounded by it is going to be in the fact that we didn't share and proclaim boldly what he gave us to share and proclaim boldly. And a lot of times we can look at that. And I'm not trying to make this works based because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't get it twisted. What I am trying to do is challenge you to think about this boldness. And the reality is this boldness is cultivated in those who are closest to Jesus. 
And Paul, it oozes out of him. He points to that first. He says, look at our boldness. Only what's done for Christ will last. Have you heard this poem by C.T. Studd? I'm just gonna read two stanzas because I want you to be able to enjoy lunch in just a little while. So there's a lot of stanzas to this poem. I'm gonna read two of them. C.T. Studd was a brilliant man. This is what he said in this, in this poem called Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We're going to get to the end of our days and we're going to look back and we're going to realize that only what was done for Jesus will last. Paul said, we declared this gospel to you boldly amidst much conflict. Keep moving here. Verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Remember, he's reminding them that, that, this, that this validity of our message, we didn't come from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God, that's huge, approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. <laughs> the freedom that Paul proves in this text, that he doesn't speak to please man, but he speaks to please God. Do you understand how hard this is to get to a place where you don't speak to please man, but you speak to please God, especially in our day to day where everything we say is, it could be on the internet immortally, you know, forever. Like we think about that, we, we're conditioned this way and our world is being shaped by this, that, that we're supposed to put something out into the universe that's going to be well-liked. We're supposed to put something out. We're, we're supposed to have an opinion, number one, first problem, and we're supposed to put it out into the world in a way that's gonna be liked. And we're getting shaped and conditioned by that. And some of you, now, I mean, ooh, and it, yeah, Facebook's a dangerous place, you know? And I, I promise you right now, preface, I don't have any in particular person in mind when I'm about to say this. But sometimes we enjoy just a little conflict, I think. Let me just put this out there and see how many comments I can get on the bottom to ramp up how many people are going to see it, you know? This political thing that everybody's going to talk about and disagree with. Even disagreement might get attention, which is a win for some of us. Like we're being shaped and conditioned by this reality that, that we're supposed to put something out that's going to be 
liked, but Paul didn't get that. Paul didn't have that. Paul said, we didn't speak to please man, but to please God. By the way, he didn't have social media and it didn't really matter. Even if there was social media, I really don't think that's the problem. I think that's just a symptom of the problem. I think it's a deeper thing. When you actually need man to be pleased by what you say, that's not a social media issue. That's a symptom. It's deeper than that. Paul's heart had been transformed and he had chosen to place his life on the foundation of Jesus and his word. And he has said, I don't care. I'm not speaking to please man. By the way, what he was saying was getting him killed and beaten. Well, it didn't matter to him. I have a mandate. I'm, I'm here to please God. And the freedom that comes from, from living this way. Galatians 1.10, Paul says it in a different way elsewhere. For Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, here it comes, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still, which means he was, <laughs> trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's pretty clear. There's not a lot of like gray area to stand in there. It's, it's, it's just real clear. Paul says, if I was trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we've got to decide today and we've got to orient our life around this reality today. Are we going to be about the, the opinions and the pleasure of man or of God? And I want to say to you, the good news is the freest man and the freest woman is the man or woman who is free from praise of another. If you don't have to be, if you don't have to have the praise of another person, man, you are free, especially in our world today. And Paul is free of that. He goes on in verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. They, they thought that, that he was coming to receive a love offering, which I think is hilarious because he came in hobbling and beaten with many blows. And they think that he's, gonna, he's coming in for a love offering. Like he's going from town to town, just trying it out. Some places he gets beaten. Some places he might get a love offering. That's not the deal. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands. We could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We didn't do that, he says. Verse seven, this is what I want you to see. But we were gentle. We were gentle among you. And then he gives us a metaphor. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul said, we weren't coming to you with, to flatter you or to pursue selfish gain. We didn't come to seek glory from people. We didn't make demands of you as your authority, as an apostle. Instead, we came gentle like a nursing mother. This, this picture that Paul gives us is showing that gentleness is an effect of the gospel. When the gospel has transformed you, you will be gentle. This is the fruit of the spirit. When the spirit's in you, you will bear his fruit. And one of those is to be gentle. And gentleness is an effect of being transformed by the gospel. Paul said, we came gently. But the other thing that I don't want you to miss here is a nursing mother, yeah, she's gentle, but she's also probably the most selfless person in the whole history of mankind, if I could make such a bold statement. Think about it. The mom is receiving Absolutely nothing. But she's giving her baby 
everything that they need to live. And Paul's bringing us, bringing this to our attention to say, we came gently and we came selflessly to you because the gospel has transformed our lives. Verse eight, let's keep moving. So being affectionately desirous of you, that's big. We were affectionate in our desire towards you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul says we were ready to share with you two things, the gospel of God and our very own selves. Two primary things that they came to share with the people in Thessalonica, the gospel of God and our very own selves. The first thing that I want you to look at, I wanna break this down just for a second, if you'll go there with me. The gospel of God is written in the genitive case. I know, grammar, hang tight. The genitive case is showing possession or source or describing a characteristic or a trait. That's, that's what we know from school. Some of you have been a little while, but the genitive case is really awesome. And I just want to take you there just for a second, if you'll go with me. We see the all three of these in the gospel of God. We see possession, we see source, and we see it describe the characteristic. So we see in the possession, you could write it to say God's gospel. The gospel is God's. The, the God, and, and that's important because it means it's not ours to manipulate or to change or to adjust. It's God's gospel. We see the possession there, the gospel of God. We also see its, its source. It's from God. The source of the gospel. It's from God. It's not from me. It's not from you. We can't adjust it. It's most, it's most pure when we take it from the source. You see that? The gospel of God. Don't try to manipulate. Don't try to adjust. Don't try to recreate the source. And the third thing we see just quickly is its description that it's all about God. The gospel of God. It's all about him. The central point in all of scripture is Jesus Christ and his gospel. The good news that turns the world upside down. And we see that this gospel is God's. We see that it comes from God and we see that it's all about God. The, the gospel is a message from a loving father to sinful children. A loving father to his sinful Children, don't miss this. That it's a message of reconciliation by his grace. It's a message that proves his unconditional, divine, agape love. That by paying the price for sin once and for all, all who trust in Jesus can be saved because he's paid the final price. Look at this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10 says. This is the gospel. This is what we see. This is what we proclaim. This is the only way to be forgiven from sin and adopted into the family of God as a son or a daughter of a good and perfect father. 
The gospel is at the center of everything we do here. Our mission, if you're new with us, to saturate the world with the good news by making disciples. The gospel, the good news is central to what we're doing here. We've been entrusted with it. We've been entrusted with it as well. We know that the prophecy in Isaiah 53 has been fulfilled in Jesus, but Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. The apostles were convinced that this prophecy had been fulfilled in Jesus. They were convinced that it was true and everything changes, including what they did with it. And we have to, we have to come to terms with the fact that it's still true today and everything still changes today because of it, including what we will do with it. I think it's time for us to move beyond our doubting and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. I think it's time for us to go deeper, for us to, go, to sink deeply into this relationship with God so that we can see the fullness of his love and so that we can declare it through our lives and through our words. I think it's time for us to sink so deep. You, you have to understand this. As a Christian, your body is the, whole, is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He resides in you. You don't have to go to a certain place in order to be in the presence of God. He has come to live inside of the believer. What are we, what are we waiting on? Where, why are we waiting on other people to do it? I think it's so interesting that one of the greatest historical proofs that the resurrection is true, this historically Apologists and, and scholars have looked at the way that the apostles and other believers, Christians, handled the gospel all the way to death. And they look at that as one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection being true. Like, why would these guys and girls go all the way to the point of death, to the point of being beaten, to the point of being abused, to the point of being shamed without changing their message. It must be true if they didn't change their message. There's only one possible answer for the fact that they faced death, they faced great punishment with resolve, without changing their story, without changing their testimony. The only answer is the good news is true. The good news is true, and it's not less true because we're facing penalty for speaking it. Andrew was the brother of Peter. He was one of the apostles uh, as well that, that walked with Jesus when he was on earth. He was, fero I mean, he was a ferocious preacher of the gospel and evangelist. And one day he went to speak, he was in Greece, and he went to speak to the governor. This is early 70s AD. He went to speak to the governor there to, to ask him if he would stop 
killing Christians, to ask him if he would stop persecuting Christians for their faith. And Andrew's like, I led all these people to Christ and they're all being killed. So I'm gonna go try to petition on their behalf. And he went voluntarily knowing what might happen when he went. And I want you to hear the boldness of Andrew and the things that he said to Agaius, the governor in that day. The church history tells us that he walked up in the presence of the governor and he said to him, it is good for you, the judge of men, to first know your judge who dwells in heaven. (laughs) After you know him, worship him. Remove your idol, remove your blind idols and remove your false gods and worship him. This infuriated the governor. He was angry and he said, if you keep preaching this way, if you keep preaching that there is another king, that there is one God, if you keep preaching this, I'm going to hang you on the cross and and under the penalty of death, we will crucify you. And this is what Andrew said. If I were afraid of death by the cross, I would not have preached about the majesty, honor, and glory of the cross. And so they led him there and he could see his cross in the distance and he he was crying out and he was worshiping and he was saying, the closer I get to that cross, the closer I come to my father who is in heaven. I don't know if you're challenged like I'm challenged, but I don't know if that's me going to that cross. So he hangs there and they didn't nail him to it because they wanted him to suffer for a little bit longer. So they hung him by his wrists up there and he he actually hung there for three days suffering. And you wanna guess what he did the whole time? Preached. For three days, he's preaching about the good news that saved his life about the good news that led him to be hung on that tree. Hanging, preaching the whole way, even to the point three days in, the Christians that were around, they started to beg the guards, will you let him down? He's still alive. He's he, like, he's not gonna die right now. Can we just take him down? Can we, can we receive him or can you kill him in a different way? They were begging for them to stop. And, and Andrew said, no, 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 don't change the plan. And he starts crying out to God. He said, receive my spirit. Don't let me go back to this world. Receive me into heaven, into your presence. This is crazy. This is crazy faith. This is crazy boldness that he was preaching the gospel all the way. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain also. But because he was raised, all who belong to him will be raised with him. Because he was raised, we all have a hope for eternal life. I love this quote from D.T. Niles. He said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found his bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of my father. What if we were known as people, beggars, by the way, because we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace, begging for, for more of God in our lives. We're, we're beggars at the end of the day. We're just not that great. But what if we were known by the fact that we didn't, we didn't overcomplicate it. We just went around trying to help other beggars see where we found the bread of life. Paul says in verse eight, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. We were ready to share the gospel of God, which we've just talked about, and our very own selves. That word for selves actually better translates to souls, which I really like because it's deeper. We were ready to, to, to share with you our own souls. This is a deeper kind of community. This is a deeper kind of deal that they were engaged in, that, that, they, were, that they were transparent with one another, that they, that they were not hiding from one another. You can't share your soul and be fake at the same time. And that's the vision by the way, for us here, for small groups. You know, we say that small groups are central to our strategy here at Chestnut Mountain Church. The reason is because we do the deep work there. That's where we can share our own souls. That's where we can share our lives and be open and transparent and not hide. Are, are you sharing your own soul with somebody, with anybody? Because if the devil can isolate you, he can destroy you. We were designed for community, by community, for community. By the way, God is Trinity, three persons, community, by community, for community. And we come into this place eager, do we? To share the gospel of God and our own souls. Because when we confess, the Bible says, when we confess to one another, we will be healed and we come open and transparent. That's our vision. That's our hope, that we would be a people that were transparent with somebody, with, with, with one another. You don't have to get up here and talk about it all, but please have somewhere where you can talk about it all. This is what Paul was creating. This is what Paul was fostering in this community in, in Thessalonica. And he uses this word, you know, it's, it's one word in the Greek, oida. It means to know by experience, to see and to know. Paul says, we brought you along beside us and allowed you to experience our whole life and our whole motive and our whole, everything we do, you've been able to see it. He uses that word three times in this text. You've been able to experience who we are and what we're about. This is a deeper level and I wonder if the same can be said of us. Do we have this kind of community here? Are we sharing not only the gospel of God, but also our whole souls? Because this deeply impacted the Christians in Thessalonica. What will our legacy be? What will it be? Can it be 1 John 4? where it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
In verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. May this be our legacy. If the good news is true, let this be our legacy. And if this is our legacy of love for one another, the way God has first loved us, we will saturate the world with the good news and we will turn the world upside down. I wanna close by telling you a story that I'm going to call the greatest missed opportunity in the history of missions around the world. Big title, huh? Yeah. I'm trying to capture your attention with that title. Not sure it's working, but that's what I'm trying to do. Just so you know my, my motive there. The greatest missed opportunity in the history of missions. You've probably heard of the leader Genghis Khan from the 1200s, 1100s, 1200s. He led the Mongolian empire and he started at the age of 13 when he inherited some family land and he began going village to village with a fighting party and taking over villages. And eventually he became the ruler over 2 million people and his empire stretched really wide. It stretched all the way from China to India, to Siberia, to Western Europe. It's it's said that it's the greatest span of territory that any one man has ruled over in the history. And when he died, he handed, or they handed his reign down the line a couple different times. And it finally landed with one of his grandsons named Kublai Khan. And Kublai was a different kind of leader. He was a little more open to reason. And he had two people in his court. Their last name was Polo, the father and the uncle of Marco Polo, the great explorer, not just the game in the pool with the kids. And so these two Italian brothers, the Polo brothers, began to share Christianity, began to share about Jesus with Kublai Khan. And it was said that Kublai was interested in knowing more. And and as they talked, he began even more interested in this idea of Christianity. And and one day he told them, "If, if we brought Christianity to my empire, we would have more Christians right here localized than anywhere else in any other empire. So we have that kind of influence. which is not a great motive, but you know, whatever gets them in the door, right? Like it just needs to begin somewhere. This is the toughest crowd I've ever been with in my whole life. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And so he says, why don't you go back to Western Europe and bring back a hundred missionaries so that we can share this good news. We can share about Jesus. And so the Polo brothers went back and they went, into their towns and into in, around and they're trying to cast this vision. We have an opportunity to influence this huge empire with the gospel. Who's in? Who's coming? We can, we can go. Anybody? Anybody ready to go? Anybody? And nobody volunteers. And we don't want to go be any part of that. These, in these days, in the early 12, the mid 1200s AD, 
There was great revival happening in Western Europe. The Polo brothers thought, surely these people are gonna be all in to come and share the good news with the Mongolian empire. great revival happening. St. Francis of Assisi was preaching in those days and there, there, all these other community, these other great leaders of ministry and there, all of this is happening and nobody steps up to leave. Nobody. They were content and complacent and comfortable with their own revival inside of their own churches, inside of their own ministries. They weren't interested in leaving that. And so they finally were able to convince two friars to go with them. And they're excited. Like, at least we got somebody. I mean, I don't wanna go back to Kublai and, and have no, nothing to bring back to him. And they get back, or they get about halfway there, sorry. And those two friars turn back. They were, they're scared. They didn't wanna go any further. They turned back, they went home. So the Polo brothers are devastated. They're, what are we gonna say? What are we gonna do? And they get back into the courts of Kublai and Kublai says, what? Where are the missionaries? Where are the people you went back for? They said, no one, no one came. No one came. Well, I, I, I thought that you said that this was the greatest news in the history of the world. And they know it, but they didn't come to tell us about it. Well, it must not be that great of news. Oh, yes, it is. It's good news. It's good news. You should see what's happening over there. You should see what's happening back home. I mean, they're going crazy. They're lifting one hand in worship. I mean, it's crazy back home. You should see. It's real. Well, why didn't they come over here and talk to us about it? Why didn't they tell us how real it is? Why didn't they tell If it's good news, it must not be that. I mean, it must not be that important to them. If the good news is true, it should change everything about our lives. It should change everything about what we say and what we do, the way that we live. But we have to be intentional with this legacy. We can't sit on our salvation and not do anything about the fact that we've been given a mandate from heaven to take that message to the world around us. And I'm not saying you've got to go all the way to Beijing. I'm not saying you've got to go across the world. I don't know where God's going to send you. I don't know. I don't know. But I, what I am saying is if he opens a door for all of us, 350, however many is in this room, but say he opened a door for all of us to go to Beijing. I am saying that we should probably go. But since that's probably not going to happen right now, I think a more relevant challenge would be, what about that person in the cubicle beside you that you've sat with for eight months now and haven't said a single word to them about the greatest news that's changed your life? What about the kids that God has blessed you with that you're terrified, I get it, terrified to share with them about Jesus because you're afraid you're gonna mess it up? What if you just became a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread? Let's just, let's just look at this together. Let's just go through it together. I don't have all the answers, but he does. And this is it. This is true. So let's do it. We don't need to wait 
any longer. So this isn't a contest to see who's done the most of that. I'm not going there. I'm not talking about how, how much more recognition you're gonna receive here or in heaven because of all the people you've won to Jesus. But I am trying to cast a vision and, and hopefully inspire us to go out of these doors and think about the people that we come in contact with and think about the fact that they need to know about Jesus if they don't. And we are the plan. We are the plan. Christians, not just a mountain church, not the revival in Western Europe in the 1200s. Christians all across the world, in the Ukraine and in Flower Branch to influence the world around them with the greatest news in the history of the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.